You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Have you ever had a toxic relationship? No. Never had like a crazy girlfriend or anything? I, you know, it's weird. I, I have friends who've had crazy girlfriends or freight and crazy wives. That sounds worse. It, uh, much worse, I would imagine. I've n- I've never had one. Um, I've only had the one wife, uh, and she's not toxic or crazy, which is good. That's good. Um, and just a few girlfriends, but they were all f- fine. I mean, they, you know, uh, so I, I guess I'm not toxic. I guess you're not. <laughs> how, I about, how about you? I had one that, um, yeah, I had one not go very well for me. I dated this girl for like, th- th- we, okay, I, I don't even know if I would say dated. We went on a few dates and uh, maybe like three, four, okay. max five. I don't know. It's been a few years. Um, and I was about to go out of town for like three weeks and she was texting me a lot and I was kind of sitting there thinking like, okay, I, I don't want to be in this anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to wait three weeks and like have her wonder why I'm not doing a good job of texting her back. Let me just call her up right now and Uh tell her like, Hey, like I don't really want to do this. So I I call her up, which I thought was a respectful thing to do. And the phone call went like about how you'd expect. She was like, well, why? Right. Tried to explain without giving reasons. You know what I mean? It's like, nobody nobody really wants to hear the reason. Nobody nobody Uh, does. So I just kind of like, Hey, like long-term, I don't see this leading to marriage. And so that's, I'm just going to call it right now. And yeah, that's, that's all you didn't do anything wrong. And so I hung up the phone. I thought it was fine. Thought, thought it was all good. (laughs) Okay. I had the unfortunate, you know, Fort Worth's a small town. About a month later, I was out on a date with someone else. Oh no. And sure enough, I see her. Uh-huh. I see her from across the park. We were at a dog park, across the park, and she says, she starts like walking over to me, and yeah. then she's getting closer and closer. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh no! And I'm like, oh, she's coming to talk to me. Okay, so I stand up as she gets closer, and then she kind of enters like that bubble where I'm like, oh, are we going for like a hug here or what? And so I, I go for like a hug, and she doesn't move at all oh. and I was like okay so maybe I misread that and I back <laughs> away and I was like hey how's it going and she just starts yelling at me oh no it's like you said you weren't ready for a relationship and look at you're here with this skank and I was like oh oh God. no like in public okay we're at a dark park there's other people here and um I just had to eat it like what do you do like what am I gonna yell back like I just had to go okay no, you gotta take it like a champ you just yeah. take it and then obviously the relationship with that chick didn't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, that, oh, that was a sore. Now, that happened twice more. Oh, no. I ran into her in public she twice got, She got more. her vengeance on you. Yeah. She, I could not avoid this chick. Oh. Kept running into well, her. You, you dodged and a bullet. And she would yell and scream you and dodge a bullet. Imagine if that had been like a real relationship. Well, I mean, yeah. Imagine if that was like a two-year-long thing. Yeah. Oh man, I'd be I'd be on a Carrie Underwood song by now. Speaking of toxic relationships, our guest today is an expert. Gloria Zhang is a registered psychotherapist and coach for high achievers based in Toronto, Canada. When Gloria was nine months old, 
Her parents made the incredibly hard decision to send her to China to live with her grandparents. Later, she returned to her parents at age three. This early childhood adoption trauma began Gloria's attachment and inner child wounds. From age three to 10, she developed severe OCD, eating problems, insomnia, anxiety, depression, and a crippling need to people please. Luckily for Gloria, her first love was a psychology book. She's been on her therapy journey since. She was a preteen and immersed herself in the world of inner child healing, self-love, and proper nutrition. Inspired by her early childhood trauma, she became a registered psychotherapist and dating and relationship coach. Nearly a decade later, the work is still her life's passion, and you would hardly tell she's been through it. She helps high achievers break down decades of toxic patterns, find healthy relationships, and manifest their ambitions to their fullest potential. She has her master's in counseling psychotherapy and hosts the very successful Inner Child podcast. We talked about some wonderful topics and really, you know, I started this thinking, what can toxic relationships help me as a business owner? And I was pleasantly surprised by how uh, valuable this content is, even as a leader in my own business. We talked about tackling a root cause approach to solving your problems versus covering symptoms with a Band-Aid, the timeline exercise of documenting childhood experiences, recognizing your past so you can intentionally make decisions not based off of your trauma, and how toxic relationship patterns in romantic and familial life can bleed over into your business. Stick around, learn something, find out if you're toxic. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Gloria, thanks for being here. Hey, three times the charm, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've been battling technical difficulties, and so uh, now we're good to go. I'm, I'm really blaming glad. all of those on Gloria? Or just, yeah. yeah. No, 100%. It's, it couldn't be our fault. throw me under the bus, guys. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm sure that Shauna is really glad that you're here um, because that, it's two against one. It's, it's um, you know, people who have suffered childhood trauma at the hands of their parents and then Sean... <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I gotta, you're, you're, about to, you're, you're about to suffer some adult trauma. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gloria, you know, we were, we were talking earlier, preparation for our, our talk. You know, I, I had done a little bit of research in looking at your position on how you deal with childhood trauma and how that creates a lens and a framework for how we make decisions today. And looking at your background, it was really interesting because you, you had some we'll call it childhood trauma that went all the way back to when you were a, a baby. Tell me a little bit more about that. The trauma that happened to me when I was nine months old, just to cut to the chase, um, I was separated from my birth parents, right, uh, at nine months and set, shipped overseas and uh, adopted by some other family. And it wasn't out of malice or anything, but my parents just couldn't afford to take care of me at that time. Um, and then when I was three years old, I fell asleep, was put on a plane, shipped back here to Canada, and basically handed back to my parents who I didn't even recognize anymore. Now, to people in the past, this was not a big deal, right? Naturally, you would give your child to someone who could take care of you. But from what we understand now with attachment trauma, uh, this is an absolutely horrendous experience for young children. Young children 
learn to form their first human relationships uh, before the age of one. And it's a really big deal because that sets the blueprint for all of your future relationships, right? And that's why everyone was making, you know, they were freaking out about, um, you know, the children being separated from their parents and the the whole shenanigan in the States, right? With foreigners. Oh, the, uh, like a, on the border crisis? Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. It's, it is very deeply traumatic to children to be ripped away from their parents without any sort of understanding or explanation, um, literally on, on a very deep biological level, right? Disrupts, disrupts that attachment. Um, so it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing about that type of childhood trauma because the consequences of it aren't always immediately visible, right? Uh-huh. So we don't see it, right? And I think a lot of people, you know, maybe even I was guilty of this mindset um, before reading and educating myself on it. Is that, well, how bad can it be? You know, right? I don't <laughs> see, they, they seem fine. Yeah. You know, it's like the old classic, I got beat as a kid and I turned out all right. <laughs> Suck it up, mother. <laughs> okay. Like, well, you can't, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily going to see a, a physical response to that trauma in a two-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's going right. to. What you're seeing is it's going to impact that kid forever. Exactly. Yeah. So, how do you see that manifesting itself? Not, you know, there's a lot of versions of childhood trauma, right? There's yes. an infinite number, I guess. Uh, how do you typically see that type of trauma manifesting itself in adults in how they are making decisions or how they were approaching mm-hmm. decision making? Excellent question. I want to first preface this by saying that not everything is trauma. Um, and I feel like I have to give that disclaimer, right? Because with it, with this rise of mental health awareness, I think it's really great. But there are other people pushing back and saying, aren't you just trying to make every normal thing, right, fit into this definition of trauma? And that's not what we're talking about here, right? This is, uh, you know, real evidence that we've discovered through research. Trauma by definition, involves the disruption of the nervous system, right? And when a person experiences something in their life, um, that really gives them a hard time regulating and finding a sense of safety afterwards, right? This is not just going to Starbucks and they get your name wrong and now you're traumatized, right? (laughs) Like that we're talking about something that's actually real. Um, It shows up in relationships 100%, right? And it shows up in your business, in the way that you approach clients, and the way that you bring chaos into your business structure and to your team. Uh, it shows up in everywhere, is, is essentially what I'm saying. And a person can be very high functioning in certain aspects of their lives. But if you have you know, attachment trauma from the parents in your life when you were really young, that's going to show up in all of your relationships. How can it not? Right. If the if the very foundational blueprint of how you show up in relationships um, was like messed up when before you could even speak, it shows up in how safe you feel with other people. So I'll, I'll just give a couple of examples. You find that some people just turn jackal and hide when it comes to dating relationships. Right. They seem so calm in their day to day life and they turn into this absolute you know, deranged monster when they're dating someone or in a relationship, right? Why does that happen? 
it's because they're being triggered by an intimate relationship that very closely resembles the same dynamics as the, the, the same that they had when, when they were with their mother and father, right? You look at client relationships, right? People who are afraid to show up in their businesses, right? They're afraid of being seen. They're, they're shrinking back and, and censoring their message and people-pleasing um, other clients. Why is that? Because that is coming from an original wounding that started long, long before you became an adult and started your business, right? So TLDR, it, it shows up everywhere. That's internet speak for too long, didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> right. And to fill Sean in. And like you wouldn't know that one. That's a Reddit lingo right there. Um, Expose so myself when, as a Redditor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of us did. So you were young. You obviously were unaware even when at the time when you did get sent back to, to or I guess I can't say back to China. You weren't born in China, but sent to China. And then so young that, you know, I think most people who are not as well-read or educated on this topic would say, oh, you know, three, three years old, how can you even, how can anything go wrong? When did you realize that you had issues stemming from this moment? Because I would imagine mm-hmm. that it wasn't at age three that you right. were conscious of this, right? Was it was it 15? Was it later in life? Was it adulthood? I didn't realize this until I was older, that the level of paranoid anxiety I had as a child wasn't normal, right? I, and that, so I think I did experience that at a young age, but I was so little that I, I didn't have the paradigms and the language to explain, um, you know, what I was feeling at the time. But where it really showed up, right? I was a you know high achiever in school. Like I, I did well in, in with my grades and everything. That was fine. But you know how I talked about the monsters, right? That we become in relationships. Um, that was me, <laughs> right? I, yeah. I was you know very quiet and put together uh, at jobs and at school, and, and that was part of the mask that I created. Uh, but I was, I was this crazy ass girlfriend when it came to my person i would just became a different person right i was so obsessed with you know sometimes checking part breaking into their social media accounts and just so hysterically paranoid right about them leaving me um even in situations where there was absolutely no evidence right that they were cheating or anything but yet in my head i had this relentless narrative Every single person I was with was going to leave me or or abandon me. And it it took going into this line of work for me to make that connection that maybe what happened to me at nine months old wasn't just a blurry memory in the past, right? Maybe that actually had a much deeper significant impact on me um, than I thought. So, just, yeah. yeah. So when, <laughs> when you started to realize that, how easy was it for you to make that connection? Was it an aha moment? Was it a lot of deep work that ar- caused you to arrive at that conclusion or was it somewhere in between? It took a long time to find the right way to go about it. I have a lot of thoughts on modern day mental health, but essentially what I was noticing was that things like cognitive behavioral therapy, like that's very popular in this day and age, it wasn't getting to the root of what was actually causing this chain of behavior. It was sort of addressing these superficial symptoms, right? 
like oh you're just yeah. you're just anxious or oh you just have uh, obsessive thoughts but it, it didn't get to the heart of what was driving this and that's when i really discovered inner child work okay. so so are you saying that that a lot of the work you saw initially was dealing with targeting issues and saying well this this is anxiety yes without going back and saying well why is this person anxious why is this person anxious in the first place and you found that this in your psychotherapy work going all the way back to childhood was was instructive in in determining that exactly it's like a doctor giving you robitussin for your cough right but maybe the reason why you have that cough is that you have a parasitic infection or something right there's there's always a root cause to the symptoms and it's the the cause that creates the symptoms not the other way around um and you know yeah finding the root cause yeah. uh, necessarily is more difficult than identifying the symptoms right the symptom is, is a minimal amount of training required to be able to notice what yeah. anxiety is or what a persistent cough is right but to to find identify and then solve for the root causes is so much more difficult because the root causes may be are much more varied than the symptoms. And so whether that's physical health or mental health, I think it's it's obvious that the responses that we get to treat the root symptoms are going to be less helpful than the responses to yeah. the symptoms. Um, and I've experienced that in my own life. Where like, you know, I've got problems, whether it's anxiety or anger, general controlling my emotions as a kid. The, res- the the advice I got was all about the symptoms. It was exactly. never, there was never any exploration yeah. of the root cause. I had to kind of do that on my own. Um, but it's funny because when you outline it, I think a lot of people miss this. When you uh-huh. outline it and you tell the story as you have to right. us today, I think most people go, oh, well, duh, like right. obviously. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, obviously you got to, you know, abandon when you're right. a little baby. Like, of course that's going to get you. You're going to have abandonment issues, you're obviously. Gonna abandonment <laughs> issue, right. You're going to have attachment issues, of course. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's not, even even for the person who experienced it, even for you, it's not as easy to identify that. So my, my question for you is, um, how how can people go about identifying what the what their own root issue is uh because one thing i've noticed a lot of people when they do try to find that root issue there's there's um a couple of things that can go wrong is one is people may exaggerate the impact of a root cause simply because it's the root cause that they can identify or rather mm. it's an early memory that they can identify when they remember yeah. they remember yeah. this thing this thing seemed like it was kind of bad. Therefore, it must be the root cause, and therefore, it must be responsible right. for all of these problems, right? Um, and then that gets exacerbated if there's this tendency on the part of the individual to remove their own responsibility and say, "Oh, well, geez, you know, that's because right. <laughs> I was abandoned as a kid." Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they just fall back on everything there, and they may have misidentified the root cause, right. or or the second is they never find that root cause, and they spend so much time searching and searching and searching and searching. And then that they're then as long as they're searching, right? They're working, and as long as they're working, then they're making progress, mm-hmm. right? So they'll feel really good yeah. about, hey, well, I'm searching, I'm exploring, we're uncovering, right? Um, so my yeah. question was buried somewhere in that diatribe. Sanger, that, that's what so I, deep. I guess I'm asking. Big <laughs> <laughs> questions. Let's explore. Let's explore that, Sanger. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I, I guess what I what I what I really want to know from you is you know what what mistakes are people making or what tips uh, do you have for people who are trying to uncover what that root cause is for themselves? Yep. Yeah. I think I know what you mean, right? Because 
if we try to look for something, the brain is going to find something to to match that hypothesis, right? Um, so there are certain. I'm sure there's certainly cases where um, you know folks have incorrectly connected certain memories and decided that that was the reason uh, for X Y Z. But there's there is this quote I use a lot. Maybe it's helpful that whatever happened to you that wasn't your fault in the sense that it it was something that happened to you right when you were very little but healing from that is now your responsibility so that kind of takes away the you know blaming all your problems on someone else in the past right it's an explanation for why you are the way you are it explains the behavior but it, it's still it's not an excuse for you not taking responsibility for your own actions. So I think that's a very um, important distinction to make. So one of the exercises that I actually do with folks is something called a timeline, um, especially if you just don't really know what happened to you back then, right? Some people really don't have a lot of clear memories. And part of the reason is that if something was really, truly disturbing, your brain doesn't really want you to think about it right? It's a protective mechanism. So people will actually have blocked memories that they never are able to access. Um, but it, to me, it doesn't matter, right? So in the timeline exercise, you're actually, you know, going you know, uh, year one, year two, going through each different age of your life and just documenting um, some of the most significant things that happened to you when you were younger. So the reason why this is important is that this is focusing now on the patterns, not necessarily any one specific event, right? So most people don't have memories before age five, right? It's like the uh, childhood amnesia. Um, so we're never going to be able to access those memories. But if you're noticing that, you know, between the ages of seven to 21, there are just things that keep happening, right? Where certain, where you, you just, you keep being around certain kinds of people that don't treat you well, or let's say your parents went through a divorce at age eight, and then when you were 10, you moved schools, and when you were 12, someone bullied you in school. It, it's not necessarily one particular event, but it's the, the combination of all of these There's events. It's a theme. Exactly, yeah. it's a theme. That matters more than trying to you know rack your brain for specific details, so yeah. So about these, the memories that people black out from their existence. Yeah. How do we know that's real? <laughs> it, 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 nobody remembers. Yeah. Well, I, I that, 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 that really gets me is like, I, I, what if there was something that happened to me that I don't remember? Well, there, there probably was. Well, okay. So remember, you'll know this story. I used to have this, um, this mem this vivid memory of something that didn't happen. At least nobody believed that it happened. And then I was convinced that it didn't happen. So I had this memory in my head uh, of my grandpa spanking me really hard. Like Ooh. beaten, like just, I was terrified of ever, ever upsetting him ever again. And I told the story like 10 years later. I mean, I was like yeah. 15 and one of my like cousins was acting up and I said, well, you better watch out. Like Papa, Papa's going to spank you. And they go, Everyone, Ed, the whole family looks at me and goes, no, he's not. Uh, and I go, oh, yeah. This would have been out of character. I go, yeah. he spanks hard, too. <laughs> and they, it was so out of character for everybody that 
But for him, that nobody believed that that could yeah. ever happen to me. Nobody believed that he had ever done it. Everyone was like, there's no chance that he would have ever done this. Right. And so I was like, had to kind of, I I believe that it didn't happen to me, you know, based yeah. on the response <laughs> that I got. And so it's like, it's like the inverse of that memory where I go, well, I guess I, I guess if I can believe something that didn't happen, maybe I can yeah. <laughs> forget something that did. Yeah. But how do you identify? What do you what do you even do with that? Yeah. You can't find it. Doctor Gabor Mate, he is he's like one of the top psychologists that you see on like you know masterclass and everything. He had a really good quote for this, um, and maybe this will help Sanger. He said something to the effect of, "It's not specifically what happened to you." but it's what happened inside you as a result of how you perceived that event. It's not what yeah. happened to you, it's what happened inside you because of how you perceived that exactly, event. Exactly, okay. right? So, you know, we're, yeah, we're never gonna know what happened to you exactly. Um, I'm sorry that that thing might have no, happened. No, I mean, I guess nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 everyone right? agrees nothing, nothing. happened. Yeah. I was completely made up. <laughs> I, I think, you know, when you, you made the comment about we don't have memories before the age of, of five or so that the impact of being in that environment and how that caused you to react probably still lingers even if you don't remember the event and you certainly wouldn't remember being uh, shipped to another country at age uh. nine months but it probably impacted uh development reaction and connections and yes. so forth that that you obviously carry forward so how do we look at things that that happened when we were children and reconcile that with the fact that everybody has stuff like every yeah. nobody grew up in in an idyllic environment where nothing happened something happened to all of us because we were raised by flawed humans in a you know in a flawed society so stuff happened how do we how do we know what what happened that's impacting us versus the stuff that we ought to just shake off and go you yeah. know hey everybody yeah. deal with that you know everybody yeah. got bullied everybody you know um, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to get to a place where you're blaming other people, right? As I mentioned for what happened to you. I think part of healing is it is recognizing that all of us are imperfect in the way that we show up. And when you live with another human being or raise another human being, you're going to make mistakes, right? You are going to hurt them. Um, but inner child healing is it focuses on building yourself up first so that you can actually get to that place of feeling good about these different relationships. So that's what it's really all about. Yeah. And, and I think the danger sometimes when people look at things that have happened in their past or how they were raised or what, you know, what trauma they've experienced. Um, I, I think the problem can happen when people attach to those events uh -huh. or that trauma and that becomes their identity. And then that yeah. colors how they're making decisions. They're, they're, they're making decisions based on only that framework. And although the, that framework might be useful, it can't be the only framework uh -huh. that I look at when analyzing a choice or decision or, or way forward, you know, things like that. So you, you had mentioned this timeline exercise uh, just a, a minute ago, and I went through that exercise, uh, not, not exactly the way you've described it, but in a, in a group that I was in a, a few years ago. And awesome. what this person had us do was to just go through, you know, sort of the, you know, ages, you know, zero to right. whatever, you know, wherever we were now 
And the the line just would go up or down based on were you feeling in a positive or heightened emotion or really great or was it neutral or was it bad yeah. or was it awful? And so it was really interesting as I drew that to go through points where I felt low and, and it was a low point for me. I shared this with Sanger a while back and he goes, how could that have been low? All these great things were happening Not to you at the time. I said, yeah. Let me take yeah. up these other things that were happening <laughs> at the time. And so it was It was kind of interesting. I think it's a really good exercise to go through because you're able to then assess what was going on. You're able to reflect on that and use that to say, all right, here's how I'm in touch with that emotion. I can use that moving forward. You had an interesting experience I wanted to explore uh, in terms of getting in touch with emotions. That, uh, I think you did a podcast recently about an ayahuasca experience that you did. Can you tell me about that i was battling for two years i've been trying to release that episode and uh, i was scared to right because i come from a scientific background all right you know like i did the school the blah 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 and i know that talking about something like ayahuasca is just so counter to the the culture that we live in right so i it, it took me a while to warm people up to the idea of this I went seven years ago, right? As as you know, during one of like the worst low, low points of my life. And it was really out of a desperation, right? Like I had run out of options. I just wanted to get fixed, right? And I just assume all podcasters know about, you know, DMT and ayahuasca. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, you know, like I love Joe Rogan and, and all of that. But essentially it's you know it's it's the the spirit molecule right it's it's a natural molecule that makes you hallucinate but others argue that maybe there's more to this than just hallucination um and i had a very eye-opening experience that sent me in the right direction of course but what was really interesting was i was begging you know the spirit world to fix me and they were pushing back at me and said Gloria, we ain't here to solve your problems, <laughs> right? You have to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, you're look. You have to go back to Toronto. Um, what, was that a realization that you came to, or was that yes, a communication yes, you received? Yes, um, because it, it's exactly like you said, Sean. I, I had this huge attachment to the trauma identity. I was a victim, uh-huh. right? And this showed up in business as well, like when things didn't work out with certain projects or with clients. I felt like people were attacking me personally, right? I took every, like I, I was mm-hmm. a victim in my own business and that's why my my first business flopped, right? It, this was old trauma showing up. Um, and so the message, I, the insight I got was basically, girl, you gotta fix your own shit. <laughs> Stop, yeah. you know, doing drugs in the middle of the Amazon looking to fix your life. But, they they should so they, t- yeah. that's a that's a funny realization <laughs> right because yeah um, you, you the, you're you're looking for a quick fix and but in a way the 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 substance provided you with yeah. the answer which is this this isn't going to magically fix it right and th- that sounds like a really well if you were looking for a solution and that was the realization or the message that you got which was fix your stuff um then that solution worked for you, right? I mean, that's yeah. worth the, that's worth the trip, um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. literally and figuratively. Uh-huh. That was in Peru. 
It's an island called Iquitos, and there are several Iquitos. retreats on that that island. Yeah, there's like wild chickens, like flying monkeys, <laughs> all all kinds of stuff, all sorts how of long, bugs I've never seen there? before. Oh, I was there for um, uh, about a month, and I did. Oh wow. I think five ceremonies in total. Oh, this yep. is a way more involved than I imagined. I, th- I thought you just kind of flew down and, you know, did a little deal. And no, I, yeah, I stayed for a while. Mm-hmm. Is that normal? Is that what most people do? They go down there for that yeah. long or is it, uh, was yours just extended for some other reason? I felt the need to get away from my home situation for a proper amount of time. But I met people there who, you know, have been there for months even, right? And, one of the guys that um, he was an American guy from Texas, I think he he went one day and he just never left, and he ended up working for the place. Did you find that you were getting incrementally better at realization of what was causing okay. you to think about things differently? Did you, or did the first one sort of uh, take you to a place and you're like, oh, I like that, I'm going to do that again, or? In other words, what I guess my question is: what, Were the benefits incremental over this these multiple yeah. events, or the same? Have you guys done it? I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah. I haven't. It, it terrifies me. Yeah. Well, you're not wrong for feeling that way. It's. I try my best to explain it, but it's. I, I felt safe because there were two shamans working with us, right? They were very, quite experienced. Um, and I, I just had to make myself believe that, um, you know, they're there to protect the space, right? So that that's really the only reason I felt comfortable staying for so long. But when you're faced with not just your, you know, deepest, darkest stuff and just forced to look at it, you're also encountering these beings, right, of what I described um, I mean that that messes you up, right? That that's gonna completely shift the way that you you look at things. So it was it was very scary for sure. So when you you have this realization and and ultimately the realization is to stop being a victim and that you need to do yeah. the work on your own to improve your life, which is that seems like a really positive, uh, healthy relationship with it. I think the fear, like the fear for me would be that I go in there and I get like so deep, so off the deep end <laughs> of this realm that's you know separated from reality and I just never come back. Right. Right? I'm so off and then I don't ever apply anything back to right. the real life. That's what would terrify me. Um, so when you, you come back um, and you start to, to do the work, what did it mean to, to do the work to uh, fix what was wrong? Yeah, that's that's really where it all started, right? I had those same fears too of, you know, it's fear of being completely changed or messed up forever. Um, doing the work, if I could put it into one sentence, it really meant that everything from now on that happens in my life is 100% my responsibility. It's all on me, right? I can no longer blame other people, uh, you know, present, past, future for my current circumstances, um, which kind of, you know, ties this whole episode together, right? I think I used to say this all the time, but I wasn't living it, 
right? So I would go on a date and then say, oh, that guy is, you know, a piece of shit, whatever. <laughs> like, he's the reason why I feel this way uh, or, or he was doing this or who. No, like it was all me. I was the common denominator. Uh, Interesting. In yeah, you could blame. That's a really good point. I, I think I, I overlook a lot is there's there are certain relationships that we've had in life that we can they're major relationships so we could blame yeah. for big problems or persistent problems. Right. But we can blame small relationships for small problems, right? That that guy that went on a you went on a date with and it ended poorly, right? right. That that's not gonna ruin your life. But right. even if you let it ruin your week or your day or well, I, I, yeah, I was a jerk to my mom on the phone last night, but that's because that date didn't go well on Tuesday, right? right? right. Whatever it is, exactly. You could do that on a there's a ripple. Level. There's a ripple effect. Yeah, yeah yes. that victim mentality is going to be b- both big and small. Yeah, yeah, and like when you don't close a client or something, right? It's like, oh, that person. Well, that's not my you fault. Know, what, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, they weren't the right <laughs> fit. They sucked. That's, that's different. Yeah, yeah, but it's <laughs> like. Different. Maybe it was your messaging, right? Maybe it was you didn't, you know, approach the sales from their perspective, right? It, it, it becomes yeah, that's so a personal. Really, really tempting one that I I see for a lot of business owners. Yeah. Well, they just didn't get it, you know. Right. Like they didn't yeah. they didn't sign up because they just didn't get it, or they just they don't care about the value of this thing that I'm selling. Exactly. Yeah, I, I had a manager early on in my career that that was really pretty wise about stuff like that and and there was somebody who came back from a sales call and it didn't go well and and uh, he goes well how did, how did it go and he said oh those you know those people are idiots you know like, <laughs> and he goes as long as you continue to look at things that way yeah you're never going to grow you know and and you've got to reflect on what could you have done differently what what did you do that could have been better, even if, and those people may they be might idiots. be idiots. They might be that's, idiots. Yeah. That's not going to help you. But if yeah. you stop and end it there, you you've lost that opportunity of self reflection to look at how do I grow and what choices do I make exactly to, to improve. That exists it, uh, exists in so many areas of life. I'll hear people do it at uh, jujitsu. Uh, They'll be like, mm-hmm. oh well, he's he's just so flexible, or that guy, oh he's just so strong. <laughs> yeah, well he's just he's really young. What? <laughs> what? We, you lost. Like yeah. maybe he's better. <laughs> maybe you're not good. Yeah, How do you not get her? yeah. I'm not. I'm not only like there are weight divisions, and to a degree yeah. there are age divisions, but both of those can go away, right? Because older people can compete down in age, and you could compete in open class, which means you're competing right without weight divisions. So there is almost no no barriers, but there's certainly not flexibility and style. And, <laughs> yeah. There's not a flexibility class. There's yeah. not a strength class. There's not, well, you bench 250, so you got to go up. Yeah. No, they, that doesn't That's exist. That's funny. That's funny. But yeah. They, what, what other ways uh, do you see business owners um, applying this mindset uh, in an unhealthy way to their own disadvantage? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The yeah the the blaming clients thing is a huge one right of oh they just they don't get my vision um, blah 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 and it's like maybe you're just not good at what you're doing right and it's about. it's not translating properly um, team management is huge there are so many bad CEOs out there and it's it's not because they're they're they don't have a clear vision they don't know how to lead teams right teams. Teams is just relationships, right? Yeah. How how many times do I see you know burnout from team members, right? Because 
there's this huge disconnect between what vision you're trying to communicate to your team uh, and your team members following through on that, right? If you don't feel comfortable and safe in relationships, how are you going to communicate that to your team members? How how you how are you going to de- deliver criticism, right? Without getting so overly offend offended, um, you know, blaming team members for things that maybe you could have improved in your delivery, right? In in helping people actually understand what you're trying to say. Um, you know, this happened to one of my clients. Um, she had a boss who just kind of disappeared for a few months. And then four months later came back and acted so surprised at her day-to-day tasks. But the boss wasn't there right, to, to see it develop into this routine in the first place, right? And so how can it be the fault of the employee if the person who's supposed to be the leader, right, isn't even aware of, of what's going on? So the, the problem isn't that they made a mistake, right? It's it's how they perceive that mistake, uh, in this case, deflecting blame onto the other person. That's not going to fly if you're going to run a long-term team, right? Because people are going to mess up. They're going to make mistakes. And unless you can you know, really take back your power and feel comfortable owning up to your own part in this, which a lot of it does come from you know childhood trauma, it's going to be very, very difficult. You can have all the, the communication strategies in the world. You could read five books, right, on specific tactics and tools of how to speak to people. But if you can't keep your cool in the heat of the moment, it's just spaghetti on the wall, right? You need to, you know, truly be connected with yourself on a deeper level in order to be able to to use those tools. You know, I have a rule with, I, I lead a team myself, right, about six people. Um, and I saw some guy post this online and, and since then, I've really incorporated this. Any success that happens in the business um, is because of my team members, right? They're the ones that made it happen. Yeah. But if something goes wrong, that's on me, right? Because clearly I didn't communicate it in, in a certain way for it to be done, right? So and as a leader, I have to be willing to be vulnerable with these types of situations because I cannot risk burning out my team members just because, you know, Gloria can't, you know, can't take a little bit of heat, right? When something goes wrong. Um, anyways, I'll get off my soapbox with this. <laughs> well, no, it's inter- it's an interesting point. And I think when we deal with carrying forward childhood trauma into current relationships, are you right? And it's, it's yeah. inevitable, right? We have that baggage that we bring forward. And a lot of times we find ourselves, uh, not me, but uh, people find themselves in toxic relationships, right? Um, it, it, how are you, how do you define whether the relationship is, is toxic and damaging? Like, how do you, uh, how do you know that other than just a gut yeah. emotional reaction <laughs> to it? So if you are in a toxic relationship, it means that you are also toxic because you're either contributing Ooh. to it. Yeah. You're either contributing to the dynamic or you're choosing not to walk away from something that's, that's clearly not working. Right. So again, the personal accountability. Um, Toxic by definition means poisonous, right? Something that is causing you harm. So if a certain dynamic 
is causing you harm, right? Psychologically, emotionally, um, then by default, it it's it's not necessarily the person that's toxic. It's the relationship itself that's toxic, right? Something about the dynamic um, is is inf- impacting you in a negative way. So yeah, <laughs> that's my definition. Yeah, I I heard somebody say one time, and I, th- I thought it made some sense that if <laughs> if something, you know, let's say toxic happens to you. The first time you're you're a victim. If it happens yeah. to you second the second time, you're a participant. Uh, yeah, and, you know you've got some culpability in that. <laughs> so how do you how do you make decisions then to to deal with that and get out of that that type of environment, okay. whether it's a job situation or a relationship with a with an employee or boss or you know whatever it is. Uh, or even a romantic relationship, it it seems difficult to see clearly in in the situation because you're in the you're in the thick of it. Yes, and that's very true. When you're when the you know what's it called the wool is pulled over your eyes, right? You can't really see what's actually happening. Yeah. Um. Right. And well, bringing it back to trauma, when you're in a trauma response. It's, you know, they say that the frontal lobe goes on offline and you literally cannot think rationally in that situation. So uh, part of the work I do with relationships uh, is actually about you being able to handle your own emotions, right? So we call that emotional regulation. And it's basically, you know, if you're stuck in that confusing, toxic relationship situation, as Sean was describing, your first line of, you know, your first sort of a battle to be won is not actually that other person, but it's actually you being able to kind of get your emotions under control first so that you can make a clear decision, right? So if you're feeling, cra- you know, I, I don't love this word, but it, if it feels like you're, you're, you're going crazy around a certain person, right? So every time you go and meet that person, you, you're filled with so much dread, so much anxiety, and you're left uh, feeling absolutely drained after just talking to that person, maybe there's a reason why you feel that way, right? Um, and it's it's not necessarily, yeah. So you, it, sometimes it's not the other person. Sometimes it's you, right? That you are not, com- you're not telling that person that you don't like something and you're allowing it to happen. So I think that, to answer your question, the first thing is to trace that emotion back to what's like, what is the thing that feels stuck? Like what's preventing me from moving forward in this relationship? And it's, oh, maybe I I don't like the way that she makes fun of my hair. Well, did you tell her that? Right. Did you make it clear? Um, If not, how can you, you know, you can't blame someone for not knowing something, right? And if you tell them and it's still continuing, then that gives you an indication that, okay, I've already said my piece. Um, maybe it is the other person. So that's sort of like mm. the, the logical um, uh, procedure. <laughs> so what do toxic relationships look like in a business, business owner's life, right? Obviously, uh, when I hear toxic relationship, I'm thinking of romantic relationship. Maybe sometimes I'm thinking of parent-child relationship, but it's yeah. occurred to me talking with you that that could be a relationship between a leader 
and their employees um, yes. or their business partners in a way that's toxic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With business partners, employees, um, clients is where it gets really tricky. Um, sometimes you kind of, huh. you know, if you have these attachment issues from the past, a lot of people that I've worked with, they actually get into these same toxic relationships with their business partners. So I actually had a client who worked in the legal uh, field and had a business partner, right, with the law firm. Um, and this business partner treated them the exact same way as their mother did when they were younger, right? Very narcissistic, very controlling and patronizing. Um, so it was just very interesting how that exact same dynamic was playing out. Um, you know, this person didn't have a voice in their own business because it was overshadowed by this you know, narcissistic business partner, right? Um, I mean, that's a very clear example. Um, people pleasing, I see that all the time, right? Not having clear expectations around your clients um, or, or you know, chasing after clients because on some level you feel like your message is not good enough, right? So now you have to cater to everyone and just, you know, accept whoever comes through the pipeline, um, right? And just breaking all of your own boundaries to try to please clients and make them happy and sacrificing your own dignity in, in the, the process. That's that's a really, really common one. Yeah, I, I think when we look at those types of relationships, there's decisions that we have to make. That I, I think it's wise to say, I'm going to look first inward before I look outward. I'm going to look at what I'm doing because I can 100% control my actions, my reactions. I can't control this other person at all. What what bad advice are you seeing out there with respect to how people make decisions on relationships and carrying forward childhood trauma? I would I would think there's a lot of bad information that's out there floating around. Yeah. So just to kind of tie everything together, right? I think the symptom-based approach to fixing problems, um, I think we see that in everything in general, right? But when it comes to you know relationships, whether it's business or personal, if we're just looking at it as, oh, you're just having burnout in your business, right? Let's help you, like, you know, do a meditation, you know, go exercise for, for five minutes a day. That's not solving the problem of you breaking your yeah. own boundaries every yeah. time you feel like, oh my gosh, I need to make five more thousand dollars this month, right? I, I just got to, you know, go out there and and take anyone I get. That's where the issue is really coming from. Right? What is the deeper emotional belief that's causing these symptoms to show up uh, in your relationships? So, yeah, right. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Gloria, how can people get a hold of uh, you and uh, learn more about the work that you're doing? The easiest way to find me is through my podcast, <laughs> uh, which is literally called the inner child podcast uh we just crossed a million downloads a couple months ago so very excited about that and yeah you can find it anywhere uh that podcast stream awesome Great. Great. thanks so much gloria i really appreciate you being here thank you gloria thanks for having me guys it was a pleasure to chat with you my takeaway from our discussion with gloria is different from what I thought it was because, you know, coming at this as a psychotherapist in dealing with childhood trauma, 
I was really expecting her to analyze how those traumas carry forward and what to do about how to deal with the trauma. Mm-hmm. And what, what I got from it, and maybe this is her point, maybe it wasn't, but here's my takeaway, was that we've all got these things and that the solution starts with how we are dealing with that issue and that our decision-making need, need to start with dealing with our own ability to address what we're carrying forward. Yeah, that's a good principle. Start with yourself for your yeah. mothers. My biggest takeaway is that toxic relationships or relationship problems in general, if toxic seems like too harsh of a word, can exist within the walls of my business as much as they can within my family or my romantic life. Uh, It was something that seems very obvious that I was overlooking is that if I am vulnerable to toxic relationships within my family or my dating life, I may be vulnerable to that same level of toxicity and its same type and form with my employees, with my partners and with my clients. And Uh, That was a huge realization for me uh, to say, well, the things that are causing me problems over here are probably also going to cause me problems over there, Uh although it may not look exactly the same every time. She had a really good quote, and that was that if you're in a toxic relationship, you're toxic. (laughs) I thought that was great. Just to add on to to your point. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.